as I begin to think about the video and just the different things that surround us as a church, and when I say the church, I mean those who are in Christ, I believe that one of the greatest uh, distractions for the church in relationship to the gospel is politics. It's almost like um, the gospel's taken a back seat and the enemy's done a great job of, of interjecting politics into the church. And unfortunately, it's kind of taken the place of the gospel. And the most important need that a person has is not to understand the economy. It's not to understand foreign relations. It's to understand Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's the most important thing. I mean, it's, at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. And so I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you this morning before we continue our service. Um, because the Lord Jesus had one thing in mind for his disciples. And that was it. I mean, he didn't give them uh, a litany of things to do. He charged them with one thing to do, and that was to go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, the way he puts it in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." I like the way it's worded here. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Let me ask you a question. What distracts you or me from doing that? What are the distractions that we run into besides the one I've mentioned this morning? What are some other distractions you participate? What are some distractions to presenting the gospel to people? Not only locally, but around the world. Time. Money. Family. Let's deal with those. Time. Uh, everybody has the same amount of time. Can we agree on that? Every day. Um, so, I think sometimes this is what happens. There's a tendency to separate sharing the gospel from my time. What I mean by that is that well, I've got to have opportunity to share the gospel, and that's something I mark on my calendar, and, and it's going to happen maybe at, at 10 o'clock this morning or 5 o'clock this afternoon. Instead of this thought, that as I'm going along my way in life, whether I'm at school or at work or wherever I am, I have opportunities maybe to share the gospel with the person sitting across from me. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? So time, really, God, listen... God's in control of all things. You believe that? And so every step that we take, right, God knows what that's going to be. So whether it's walking through a line of a grocery store, right, whether it's getting stuck in Walmart, right, with a bunch of people in line, I mean, God knows that. He knows that, and he knows, right, there may be even opportunities in those lines to present the gospel of Christ. Right? So time is really, I mean, it's God's time, and he gives us opportunities within the 24-hour period that you and I have each day to share the gospel. What was the other one? Time and then money. Okay, what do we mean in relationship to money? How does that prohibit us from sharing the gospel? Okay, how far you can go, fast you can go. It's pretty amazing, though, that Nowadays, man, people can get there pretty, pretty quick around the world, can't they? 
I mean, sitting in our audience today, Brian Furpose right here, right? Fran and Janice, they're here today, right? And, and they're in the ministry literally around the world, and I'm sure they could testify. It's amazing how far you can go in a short period of time, right? And the finances, listen, the Lord's the one who provides. He's the provider. I mean, you look at the, the testimony in the life of Bob and Judy Ambrosius, what a testimony. And how God used them, right, and provided for all the needs that they had in order to share the gospel. So, time, yeah, it can be an issue. Money can be an issue. But I believe it's an issue when we make it an issue. Right? Because God owns it all. He owns all the cattle. Right? You heard the story about Dallas Seminary. I've shared that with you before. Right there at the end of the rope, they have no more money. Um... They're the boardroom. They're in the boardroom, and they're meeting. Hey, what are we going to do? And they're out in Texas, as you all know, Dallas Seminary, Dallas, Texas. So, the prayer was, Lord, we need you to sell some cattle. And do you know what happened? The secretary had been told by the guys, Hey, don't we don't want anybody bothering us during this time? And this guy comes in. He's got a big cowboy hat on. He walks in and he says, uh, the Lord wants me to write this check and give this check to Dallas Seminary. And he, he hands it to the secretary. And she goes and she interrupts that meeting. And you know what the message was to the, to the board? The Lord sold the cattle. Guys, he owns it all. So, so yeah, time can be an issue. Yeah, money can be in our minds. Family certainly can be. You know, family can be opposed to you going around the world. I remember when I was... Uh, first had in mind going to New York State. Let me back up and tell you what happened to me real quick. So I go from Parkway Christian. I was there for a year teaching Bible. And then I had a, about a year there between 1989 and 1991 where I was just like miserable, having to work a job I knew nothing about. And um, finally my wife, she said, Babe, I, listen, I know the Lord wants you in ministry Wherever he leads you, I'm going to go with you. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. So I began to apply, and the two opportunities I had, one was in Del Rio, Texas, and one was in Green, New York. And um, I'll never forget sharing with my family, hey, I, the Lord's given us an opportunity to go to New York. Well, do you know how my grandpa, Blunt, I mean, my grandpa Allman heard that? Why would he want to go to New York City? That's how he thought about that. I said, Grandpa, I'm not going to New York City. I'm going to upstate New York. He said, isn't it all tied in together? I said, no. In fact, the people in upstate New York want New York City to just fall in the Atlantic. But you know, family can be a hindrance, right? Family can say, I really don't want you to go, but the Lord may want you to go. Um, any other distractions? Fear of man. Explain, Jerry. Well, we're really concerned what people think about us. And, uh, like people we see on a regular basis at school and work, you've got a relationship with those people. Yeah. So if you tell them about Christ, uh, you know, you're going to put a label on yourself. Yeah. You know, Jeremy, I got, I got illustrations for all this. When I was doing one of those jobs I didn't like doing between 1989 and 1991, 
um, the Lord put me with a group of guys, an electrical company, and um, with a group of guys, and, and it seems like they're all the same, right? They're, they're bigger than me, right? They're all built like this. They're, they're blue-collar guys. They look the part. And here comes a guy in there that's five foot eight, 100 and nothing at the time, and I didn't know what I was doing. But do you know, I can honestly say before the Lord that from day one, Mike was my boss, and from day one, I had a fear of Mike. He was big, he was strong. I was like, oh my goodness, if the guy doesn't like me, right? I mean, that's what you're thinking. I just want to keep this job. I need this job. As much as I hate the job, I need the job. And do you know what the Lord did? Man, that dude, he was a teddy bear. He just looked big, right? He was just a big, big looking guy. But the, the thought process the whole time I was with him was I want him to know Christ. That's all I thought about. I want him to know Christ. And, and there was many, many discussions where I was just like Jeremy said. I was, there was fear there. And finally, one conversation, I remember, we were working at an elementary school over here in Eastlake somewhere. And we were working there. And you know how kids complain about lunch, right, meals at, at school? Well, man, we thought it was awesome. I mean, you could eat for two bucks and get this whole big plate full of food, right? That's what we were thinking. And so we used to eat, eat lunch together. And during one of our lunch breaks, one of the guys who was not Mike said, Hey, Thad, do you really want to be an electrician? And I was like, No, I don't. He said, I knew that. I knew you weren't going to be an electrician. I could tell. You don't know what you're doing. I said, You're right. I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. Well... He said, what do you want to do? And that's where I had a decision. I, I could tell him what I'd been doing, or I could make something up, which you say, well, why would you make something up? Because, listen, that's the temptation at times, isn't it? Right? Well, I didn't make it up. I said, listen, I, I went to Southeastern Bible College. I'm prepared to go into the ministry. I want to be in youth ministry. I want to be a pastor one day. And, man, the conversation just, whoo. The language cleared up during the day right? There was a lot of different impact as a result of just that one statement. But with that one statement came a lot of responsibility. Because from then on, the conversations were much more focused. And they were asking questions about heaven and questions about hell. Long story short, the Lord used that time and at the end of my stay with that electrical company, right before I went to New York State, I bought a Bible for Mike. Because if somebody was to ask me, Thad, do you have the gift of evangelism? The answer is no. Kind of like Paul wrote to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. I just don't, I don't have that gift, but I want people to know Christ. And so I bought him a Bible, and on the inside of that Bible, I wrote an inscription. And I just told him that I loved him. But as much as I loved him, there was one that loved him more, and that was the Lord. And he loved him so much that he went to the cross and he died for him. And I just, so that was my way. Yeah, that fear is real. And sometimes that happens to us. But, but you know, we don't have to have the gift of evangelism to share the gospel. Um, I just wanted to share with you three distractions real quick um, this morning that I think... Um, certainly can be heavy in our lives. The first one is self. Somebody mentioned that, self. 
Self can certainly be a distraction. But what does the Lord tell us? What does he tell his disciples? Deny your what? Yourselves. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny self. That means at the beginning of each day, it's all about me coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, it's about you today. It's about your spirit leading me today. It's about the opportunities, yes, Lord, that you give me to share the gospel today, to represent you. But certainly self can be a major distraction to presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to others because we may be concerned about how others may look at us, what they may think about us. If I truly say, hey, I'm a committed follower of Jesus Christ, what is that going to cost me in relationships? It may cost. It may cost in relationships like was mentioned in regards to family. It may cost, somebody may look at you and say, you're crazy. Why would you want to go to Papua New Guinea? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go to Thailand? Why would you want to do that? I mean, don't you want to live the American life and fulfill the American dream? Isn't that what it's all about? And so self certainly can be a distraction. And the enemy's really good about helping us focus on ourselves. And so each morning we have to get up and say, Lord, help me today to be led by your spirit. And whatever opportunities there are, Lord, that you may want for me, help me to step through those doors. And you say, Thad, it's too late for me in life. I'm 55 years old. It's never too late. It's never too late to say, Lord, I surrender to you. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. It's never too late. It's treated like it's too late because a lot of times Christianity is treated as professionalism. That, right, you're a missionary till you're 65 and then you retire and, and you've done everything you can do for the Lord. Well, no. Because there's no retirement in Scripture. The Bible doesn't speak about that for the believer. We have the responsibility to continue and have the mind of Paul when he said, I finished the course, right? I fulfilled everything the Lord has given me to do. So the one distraction can be self. The other distraction can be the world. The world can be a distraction. I want you to go back with me to 2 Timothy. I want to show you an example of this real quick this morning. Let me give you an example of a man who was distracted. And his distraction was the world. That's kind of a big term, even though it's small. So if the distraction's the world, what does that mean? What does it mean? I'm sorry? The glitter. Glamour, right? What else? Things. Things. And we live in a culture of things. How many things do you have versus how many things does the guy down the street have versus how many things does the guy around the corner have? And do you know the enemy has been so good at distracting the church? Man, he's been good at it. He's made it about things. Um... The Apostle Paul, this is his last letter, and he's making an appeal to the man that he has invested his life in, and that was Timothy. And he tells us about the end of his life, verse 6, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Verse, six, he said, verse 7, he says, I've fought the good fight. And it is a fight. 
Christian life is a fight. You know, it's a fight in a couple of different ways. It's a fight for us to stay on the right course. Right? And it's a fight, yes, against the enemy. But it's a fight, first of all, to stay on the right course. As we're going to see when we get to Balaam, uh, he got off the course. Um, And here in this passage, there's a man named Demas that gets off the course. Notice what Paul says. I fought the good fight. I finished the course. By the way, um, that course for you and for me is until the Lord comes for us or we go to be with him. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. Which, by the way, nowadays, just like it was in Paul's day, when you, says, when you say, I've kept the faith, you've done something. Because for people out in our culture, the faith means a lot of different things. But for us, we know what does the faith refer to? The faith that one has in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. Not just salvation, but the doctrine of Christ. Who God is, who Christ is, the Holy Spirit, all of Christian doctrine. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And I wondered as I've read that passage over and over again, how many, how many Christians are going to go, oh, now, Lord, did you have to come now? I mean, for Paul, he had a whole different mindset. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Um, verse 9, Paul says, Make every effort to come to me soon. Then he says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. You know, there are people who join the military who desert their brothers and sisters in arms. They do that. And that's a catastrophe. But here you have a big catastrophe, don't you? Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Paul writes, and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And notice what he says, only Luke is with me. I mean, he doesn't have this entourage of people that are with him. He has one guy with him, Luke. He said, pick up Mark, which I love this because, you know, you remember John Mark on that first missionary journey, right? We don't know all the details of what happens, but, but he bails out. And so the relationship between Paul and John Mark is at least suspect. And we know that, that Paul takes Silas with him on the second missionary journey, right, in Acts. And Barnabas takes John Mark. And for, for this transformation to take place, something happened in the life of John Mark. And the Bible says, pick up John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But in the midst of all that, you have, in verse 10, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. You know, one of the distractions that we face as believers from the gospel of Christ 
And sharing that gospel is not only self, but it's the world. It's the focus on, and I put in my notes, it's the focus on temporal things, things that do not last. Then the third distraction that I wrote down is not only the distraction of self, the distraction of the world, but the distraction of sin. Sin is a distraction. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians. I want to show you this distraction of sin. Now, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, writes about, in summary, who these guys are in Christ, all the blessings that they have in knowing Christ. And you get to chapter 4, verse 1, and he begins to talk about the demands of that, that while the relationship with Christ is wonderful, and there are many benefits and blessings of being in Christ, there is a responsibility that is on the believer. Five different times he's going to tell these guys, this is how you ought to be walking. But in the midst of all this, practical instruction, you know what's woven in between all of it? What grieves the Holy Spirit? And what grieves the Holy Spirit? In one word, sin. Sin grieves the Spirit of God. And so through the whole passage where chapter 4 and chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about the believer's walk and how they should be imitators of the Lord and how that looks as a church, that there should be unity there. There should be one-mindedness. And he tells them, if you go down to verse 17 of Ephesians 4, he says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Um, you see that little phrase that you walk no longer? It means this. There's a conversion that had taken place in their lives because they used to walk like that before the Lord. He says, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Well, this fits into Second Peter because you got that impurity and you got that greediness. That just runs throughout the Scripture. They are enemies of the Lord. Notice what he says, verse 20. But you did not what? What does it say? You did not learn Christ in this way. In other words, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we're new. All, listen, old things have what? They've passed away. All things have become new. We have the mind of Christ. Now guys, listen to me. That is huge. We are no longer in the dark. We have understanding. And it comes from the Lord and his word. And Paul says, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as what is in Jesus? Truth. Truth is in Jesus. 
Listen, it reminded me as I was reading through this and studying this, I was like, man, Lord, this reminds me of what you told your disciples. That the Spirit of God would lead them into what? All truth. Listen, so everything outside of that is, right? Truth comes from the Holy Spirit who resides in us. The message of the enemy is false. The message of the enemy has to do with the world. The message of the enemy has to do with self. That you are the most important. Don't you know that? Haven't you figured it out? The message from the enemy is not only you're the most important, but hey, look at all these things this world has to offer. But then there's that whole personal issue of how we walk. And that's what he's focusing on here. And notice right in the middle of all this, he says that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. That's a picture of laying aside an old garment. You lay it aside, you toss it to the side. Man, I have a bunch of old garments. You have old garments in your... Man. My wife, Lord loves her. She's not here today, so I can say this. She loves to keep things. Bless her heart. If you need Christmas decorations, we have them. Just ask, okay? We have them. Laying aside the old for Teresa's difficult in terms of clothes and things. But not for me. I can take a garbage bag and just chunk it, right? If I hadn't worn it in two or three weeks, I'm ready to get rid of it. She's not like that. Well, when a person comes to Christ, laying aside that old is difficult. How many of you have been saved longer than 30 years and you still have a difficult time laying aside the old at times? <laughs> right? It's difficult. But the old can certainly get in the way of what the Lord wants for us in terms of glorifying him and sharing the gospel. That's what he says. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the what? The truth. And so he says, hey, as a result of all that, as a result of this new life that you have in Christ, he says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but let him rather labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. And then he says, let no unwholesome word, that word means rotten. Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. And that word edification means building up. So we come along beside believers to do what? To build up. For edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And then, here it is, look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then he has this list. Here it is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and this is progressive in the Greek language, and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you 
Therefore, be imitators of God. You go through that list and you're like, wow, you know, having that new life in Christ is awesome. But that sin, that ugliness, can rear its ugly head at times. And that sin, right, that darkness can keep me from sharing the gospel. Because the Bible says that men love darkness rather than the light. Well, three potential huge distractions from sharing the gospel. Self, the world, and sin. You know, as we saw that video this morning, and listen, I love living in the United States of America. I love the freedom that we have here in the United States. And it's come at a great price. You read history, it's come at a great price. But guys, the freedom that we have as believers has come at a great price. The blood of our Lord and our Savior. Now I want you to listen to this. Who was guilty of nothing. Nothing. He had done nothing. I was thinking this morning that I would close this time with a question for you. What's your testimony? Do you have one? Do you have a testimony of, of the conversion in your life when you came to personally know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you have that testimony? And if you do, can I encourage you that the testimony that you have of being in Christ does not stop at the moment of salvation, but it continues. What's going on in your life now as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And so I'll leave you with this thought, all right? There is nothing... There is nothing greater in this life than knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. Nothing greater. The tragedy, and I want you to listen to this. Oh my goodness. The tragedy will be that many, 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 many people will stand before God as religious people but will never, will never have said, Jesus is my Savior. He's the one I'm trusting in. Do you realize that? I mean, I, I, I've got two messages in my mind, Balaam and this one. The road of destruction is wide, and many are on that road. And just because someone's sitting in a church does not mean they know Christ as their Savior. Just because one grows up in a Christian home does not mean they know Christ as their Savior. So I ask you again, what is your testimony about Christ? I mean, what will you say? 
I know what I'm going to say when I stand before Christ. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're the only one that I was ever trusting in. We live in a religious culture. A very religious culture. And there are a lot of people that are quote-unquote just fine. (laughs) They're doing okay. But we know if we're in Christ and are following the way, we know there are many, many, many people who are walking on a road to hell because they have not confessed Jesus Christ as their Savior. Lord, help us to be, right, more than just American citizens. (laughs) Help us to be proclaimers of the gospel of Christ. Lord, um, I'm sure even in this audience today, there may be some that don't know you, that do not have a relationship with you. A relationship with you, um, there should be evidence. I have a relationship with my wife. And I enjoy the relationship I have with my wife and I enjoy the fellowship that I have with her. And if we're believers in Christ, we enjoy the relationship and and we're secure in the relationship because, Lord, your word tells us we can be. That fellowship is really important. That intimacy with you is really important. And I pray, Lord, that we would desire that intimacy that fellowship, that oneness of, of, Lord, just being so attached to your word each day, so desirous of eating your word each day. Because that's really where the life comes from, is your word. Lord, I'm so burdened for the church today in America. So I was talking to a gentleman just this past week who... Um, asked his pastor his view on homosexuality to which his pastor said nothing nothing he said I guess it's okay everybody has a choice Lord that's the kind of culture that we're living in where men and women alike are afraid to stand on the truth of the word of God and the gospel of Christ. Lord, I want you to know that my heart's desire is to stand on your word and the truth of the gospel of Christ. And I pray that's true for everyone in this place today. That as Grace Church, we would stand on your word and the gospel of Christ and not apologize... You drew the lines in the sand. We don't draw them. You drew them. And I pray that we would stand on those lines and that we would hate what you hate and that we would love what you love. That we would abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And that we would not be distracted in a church culture that is so compromising 
that we would not compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would have the mind of Paul in Galatians 1. That if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel, let us be anathema, let us be destroyed. Because there's one gospel, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is only one way to the Father, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to know, Lord, it's not like the world says. It's not a message of hate. But it's a message of love. You loved us so much, you died for us. Oh God, I want to thank you for my salvation. And that it is rich and that it is free. And yet, Lord, it cost you. And so, Lord, I pray that I would, as the Apostle Paul did, that I would finish the course that you have set in front of me. And that, Lord, by your Spirit, you would help all of us to finish the course that are in Christ today. And if there are some here today that do not know for certain that they belong to you, Lord, wow, we're praying for their salvation. That they would see that the scales would be removed from their eyes and that they would trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And all these things I pray in your wonderful name. Amen.
blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Third pardon for sin. 
pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten Let's sing this to the Lord now. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath brought my This holy God, this God that there is none like any other, is the Lord of our salvation. He's the only one who can satisfy our soul. He's the only one who can satisfy the sin that's in our life by what He has done and only what He has done and nothing by what we've done. To close out the service today, I want to sing uh, a great song. Holly's going to come and sing, and the choir's going to back her up. And we're going to sing a great song. It's called, Who Can Satisfy Like You?
You know, um, as Robin there is testifying to the Lord, I was thinking that never stops in heaven. Never stops. And uh, Paul ends uh, Ephesians 3 with, to him be glory in the church forever and ever. And so it's amazing to think that we're even acceptable in the sight of the Lord. But the only thing that makes us that way is the righteousness of Christ. And so I trust today that you know him, that you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And thank you, choir. That was tremendous. Thank you, Holly, very much. And uh, to, the, to the Lord be praised, all right? Let's uh, stand, and we'll close in prayer. And I've got one announcement I need to make uh, before we uh, dismiss today. Lord, we just want to um, come into your presence and pray, Lord, that um, you would receive our worship today. 
Um, you know our hearts. And that's the thing about it, that you know the reason that we're here. You know why we sing. You know why we teach. You know why we preach. Um, all that motive stuff, you know. The people around us may not know, but you do. And so I pray, Lord, that our worship is, is genuine, that our hearts are truly full because of the many blessings that we enjoy in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so this morning, Lord, we just rejoice uh, with the church, with all those here who belong to you. And um, Lord, we know heaven's rejoicing right now. And uh, that never ceases. That's a, an amazing thought that the worship of you, Lord, is always there, always present. So when we're taking breaks, uh, heaven's not taking a break. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to have the mind more like uh, the angels that are worshiping you constantly. And, Lord, that our minds would be uh, constantly and just in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. As we sang the song about salvation, uh, Lord, um, I was thinking about the Godhead. Uh, as Paul wrote in Ephesians, in that glorious text in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, one long sentence, but it gives details about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And salvation. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that we stand on your, on your word and your truth. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't, that we would just brush back the excuses that we have in our lives to share the gospel of Christ. Ultimately, the purpose of the church is to glorify you, and we glorify you by sharing the good news. And so I pray that we would take every opportunity that you give us and, Lord, that those distractions would be set to the side and that we would trust in you uh, each day uh, for the strength that we need, for the protection that we need as we live in a world that is contrary to you and to the gospel. So, Lord, we just give you the praise and glory and pray that um, our worship today has been acceptable in your sight. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.